Welcome into the Thomas Fitch Sports Show, and finally back after a couple-week break. As usual, I'm your host, Thomas Fitch. Texas now officially in the Big 12 championship game. They pick up big wins over Iowa State and then Kansas. Meanwhile, West Virginia loses to Oklahoma State and then loses to OU. So it's a Texas-OU matchup. We're going to talk about that, break that down, break down those two games that Texas won. Um, and we're going to look at all the possible situations that could happen in the college football playoff um, next week. All that more coming up next. All right, so has been a couple weeks. Took last week off for Thanksgiving break. Hope y'all had a good Thanksgiving break. And um, just for the record, if it's a little sniffly today, I am having a little cold, little flu game action today, but I'm going to grind through just for y'all. Um, I don't think I've ever sneezed on air. We may we may do that today and maybe the first sneeze on the Thomas Fitch Sports Show. So we may make history. So if you're listening, you're a part of history possibly. Um, but like I said, Texas officially in the Big 12 championship game. Um, two weeks ago, they beat Iowa State. Right before that, West Virginia beats um, – or sorry, Oklahoma State beats West Virginia, which meant that all they needed was to beat Iowa State, beat Kansas, and they're in. And they do that. And so – they're in. OU beats West Virginia last week, so it's a rematch of the Red River rivalry where Longhorns won earlier on the year, 48-45. Um, before we kind of start talking about that, we'll do a little little brief breakdown of that. Um, but let's talk about the Iowa State and Kansas game. Um, Texas beats Iowa State 24-10. Next week beats Kansas 24-17. And, you know, I, I first of all, on the Iowa State game, definitely a much better game than the Kansas game. But I would say, personally for me, the Iowa State game was the most complete game this Texas team has played start to finish in control of the game. There was no um, slow start. There was no letting off the gas in the fourth quarter. It was solid play through four quarters. Um, Kansas saw a little bit of letting off the gas in the fourth quarter, similar to the Tech game and the OU game. Um, let's go ahead and get into our offensive breakdown. Offense struggles a little bit um, in both of these games, and the main reason Sam Ellinger um, gets injured against Iowa State right before halftime, so Shane plays in the second half. And I said this back when uh, Sam got injured against Baylor. When Sam goes out and the offense struggles, it just shows how dependent they are on Sam and how dominant Sam is as a player. Um, but Shane obviously comes in, plays the second half against Iowa State, and really plays a great game, does what was needed to get the win, uh, 10 for 10, 89 yards, and, um, you know, after losing the starting job, great class act to stick around and really play great um, and do what was needed for the win. Did that against Baylor, does that um, against Iowa State. Trey Watson has a great game, 93 yards, 6.6 yards per carry. Sam also banged up against Kansas and, you know, clearly wasn't 100% in that Kansas game, missed a lot of throws, especially deep, couple to the middle, also broke his interception streak at uh, some 300-plus throws without, or completions without an interception. And, you know, in the long run, I think it's a good thing that the streak came to an end before the Big 12 championship game. That way, he's not having to worry about that. He can just focus on playing his own game. But at the end of the day, his health is going to be critical um, going against OU. You know, and, and, and in my opinion, I know... Herman's kind of take on this was 
the best player is going to play, and if Sam's healthy, he's going to play against Kansas. I would have liked to see Shane play just because clearly Sam wasn't a hundred percent, and he, you know, I, I think Herman said this week that you know Sam's still working to get back to that. But I, I feel like if if he hadn't have played and could have taken another week to recover, I know that obviously you can't take a game lightly, and so you can't say, oh, Kansas is an easy win, we're going to put in Shane. But this is a team that Shane's played twice, and they've won the games that he's played in. And so that's why I, I would have felt confident starting Shane against Kansas. You get Sam a week to be healthy, and I, I still think Texas wins with Shane in at quarterback, especially because Shane would have been healthy in that situation. But, you know, that's that's Herman's decision, and... We'll, we'll talk about the OU game in a little bit, but clearly it was, um, you know, it was a big factor, Sam not being healthy in that game. I would say the Longhorns running the ball a lot better. Obviously talked about Watson with 93 yards in the Iowa State game. Texas ran the ball well against Kansas. And even though they only put up 24 points, it wasn't like the offense was very lacking. Um, they had a, you know, you look at the first half, Texas dominated, or sorry, the first quarter. Texas dominated the first quarter and only had the ball twice, scored once. Um, they kind of, the Kansas punter had a heck of a game and really did a good job, especially in the first half, of pinning Texas deep. And so they're trying to go on long drives. And while they did go on a long drive on the first um, drive of the game and, and they scored, you know, it's just tough to drive that whole length of the field. But regardless, they did a good job of doing, of, of taking up long drives um, in that game. Let's move to the defense because. I really do want to talk about the defense a little bit more because it was really a great two games for the defense, um, giving up 27 points in two games. That's much better than um, what they had done against, you know, Tech and West Virginia and Oklahoma State in the the games prior. Um, but, you know, looking at the Iowa State game, going against Brock Purdy, David Montgomery, Akeem Butler, some of the best p- players at their respective positions in the Big 12. And, you know, outside of Butler, Longhorns really shut down um, those guys, Purdy, who's, you know, he, I, I know he's a freshman, but he's been the Big 12 Newcomer of the Week just about every every week this season and really had a, a stellar freshman year. He only had 130 yards in this game. And Montgomery, I know, suspended the first half, but comes in second half, 10 carries, 33 yards, averaging 3.3 yards per carry. And that's just a great job of, of this defense really, you know, stopping that run. And that was one of my worries in this game was, how was Texas going to be able to respond in the second half when Sam got injured and you know David Montgomery coming back for Iowa State? Were they just going to be able to run all over Texas and run away with the game? But instead, Texas defense comes up huge, really stout. Um, good job on um, up, up front by the front seven of Texas. And, you know, I say front seven. It, it, it's a weird scheme. I mean, you see B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns getting sacks and getting tackles for losses. B.J. Foster lining up a lot as a nickel or kind of a um, an outside linebacker, which it'll be interesting to see if he continues to line up like that um, going forward in the future. Um, but, you know, it is it is cool to see Orlando. It, it feels like his creativity has finally started to work in the last couple games, and he's been known for so long of being able to use really creative blitzes and creative defensive schemes and really hasn't worked until Kansas and Iowa State. But... um seemed to really do a good job in those two games and uh obviously moving on to Kansas in the uh you know that was a team who scored 40 against OU the week prior Texas holds them to 17 um it, it was a weird 17 it, it was just kind of a weird game like it was a seven point win for Texas but it never really felt like Kansas could ever win that game 
because it was it was so defensive for the first half where even though Texas was only up 7-0 at halftime, they dominated the whole first half. They dominated possession. The Kansas could not move the ball. And so because of that, that's why Texas felt like they were in control. And then they obviously two quick scores in the third quarter to go up 21 nothing. Then Kansas comes back with a touchdown. It's kind of a blown play. And, you know, they, they have some good athletes. And so they have a big run um, by their running back, like 65 yards or something like that for a touchdown. And then um, the the field, the last field goal they had was after a weird kind of onside um, onside kick call where the refs kind of blew it blew it dead and gave possession to Kansas before anybody really had possession of the ball. But um, yeah, a lot of people and and you know obviously Aggies and Sooners on Twitter have just been like, oh Texas only beat Kansas by seven, and first of all. Uh, to all the Aggies and West Virginia fans out there. Who's going to the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, we are. Um, Y'all have fun watching uh, championship weekend from your couch. Anyways, um, like I said, the, the seven-point win against Kansas was a, was was not as close as seven-point sounds. Kansas really never had a, cha- a chance in that game, even though they had a chance to, you know, they had a, you know one more onside kick where if they had recovered and scored, they would have tied it. Kansas was not going to win that game. It wasn't like two years ago um, when they beat uh, Charlie Strong's team. Kansas had no chance in this game, even though it was close. Um, uh, one player I want to talk about who had a great game and you know got national recognition for his game, Jeffrey McCullough um, really stepped up. Gary Johnson was suspended. All, all we know is that he's uh, violated team rules. Not exactly sure what that was. He will be playing this week in the Big 12 uh, championship game, but... McCullough comes in, has a big sack, a huge turnover um, in uh, when Kansas was driving. And, you know, that's that's one of those, you know, one of, one of the reasons why I have a lot of optimism in this team, just looking forward to the future is, you know, guys like McCullough can come in. O- uh, Joseph Osai had a good game. Obviously, Stearns and B.J. Foster playing in the secondary. A lot of young guys. And while it's a bummer that Gary Johnson didn't play that game, it's giving these young guys reps because these are the guys who are going to be playing on the team in the next two years when Texas actually has a chance to compete to be in the college football playoff. Um, when Ellinger's more experienced and uh, you really start to develop the defense. And I think there's a good chance that LJ and at least LJ, maybe Colin Johnson to stick around. Uh, we'll see. But definitely really good to see some of those younger guys. I know Jeffrey's not, he's not a freshman, but some of the younger guys get more experience and not only get more experience, but play well when they get in the game. Um, I'm going to go to another a new, new little segment that I've made up. It's called Back Talk. Um, and so the point of Back Talk is basically um, basically my chance to air my grievances of people, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's, you know, somebody I disagree with at a game or, you know, in per- something like that, and I just get to talk about it and I don't have to debate anybody. Maybe Maybe in the future I can have guests on and we can just, like, really, like, first take it out and just yell at each other. We'll see. But here's what here's what happened. Here's here's the back talk for today. At the Iowa State game, um, I'm sitting behind a couple Texas fans, and they are just going after Chris Boyd. The Texas fans going after Chris Boyd every time the ball is thrown to him. They're like, "Oh, Chris, you should retire. Oh, Chris sucks so much." You know. And the funniest play. There's one play, and obviously these guys don't know football enough. There, Texas is in a zone coverage, so. You know, Chris Boyd goes back, receiver comes back with him, receiver cuts in, Chris Boyd stays where he is because, again, zone coverage, not man coverage. And the second Chris Boyd stays and the receiver goes, they go, oh, Chris Boyd blew it again. And um, 
you know, it's not just these guys. I've, I've heard a lot of people who um, are not very fond of Chris Boyd. Here's my take on him. He's a good cornerback, a very good cornerback. Not a great cornerback, but he's a good cornerback. And and one of the things, a couple of things about about Chris Boyd. Does he get burned sometimes? Yeah. But look at let, let's look at the list of some of the receivers he's had to guard this season. Marquise Brown, Tylen Wallace, David Sills, Hakeem Butler. That's just some of the guys he's had to go up. He's had to go up against some of the best receivers in the nation. And he's done a really good job. And here's a point I like to make. In the NFL, the best receivers go up against the best cornerbacks. You know, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Antonio Brown. Those guys are lining up against the best cornerbacks every game. Yet, they're averaging about, you know, 80 to 100 yards of reception a game. If the cornerbacks locked, if, if, if Chris Boyd did what, what fans think that cornerbacks should do and lock down receivers every game, then, re- then cornerbacks in the NFL would be locking down receivers for like zero yards a game. When you're going against the best receivers in the game, your goal is to stop them as many times as possible. And your goal is to, you know, keep them from going for 200 yards. But when you're, when you're a six-foot cornerback and you're going up against a 6'6 wide receiver, there's some times where the quarterback just puts it in a place where you simply can't get it. And that's not your fault. Your job is to be in the best position possible. But when you're going against the best receivers, some of the best quarterbacks, that doesn't happen. And, you know, another thing is when when – you watch another college football game of, of a team, you know, that you're not a fan of. When a wide receiver makes a good catch, they, you know, a big catch down the sideline, nobody ever goes, oh, man, that cornerback got burned. You think, oh, man, that wide receiver made a great play. But when you're watching your own team, you're, you're, you know, you're watching them so closely, and so you're judging your own players. So when, you're, when the receiver against, on the other team makes a catch, you're like, oh, the cornerback got burned. And so that's another thing about Chris Boyd. Uh, you know, one last thing about him. He has a lot of really good, like, insane pass breakups where, you know, it looks like he's gotten blown by. Then that last second kind of gets a hand there, tips the ball up, forces an incompletion. That's textbook cornerback. Textbook cornerback is not being in the perfect position. or not being, But the textbook cornerback is not being stride for stride and intercepting the ball every time. I mean, the best, the best cornerbacks in, in the NFL maybe have five, six, seven interceptions a year. That's not... You know, and think about how many times, how many uh, times a receiver catches the ball over them versus how many times they get an interception versus how many times they break up a pass. And so Chris Boyd does a really good job of knocking the ball away and being in the perfect position to, you know, knock the ball, strip the ball, tip the ball up from the receiver. Now, like I said, he's a good, he's a good, good cornerback, not a great cornerback. And so he does need to work on the timing of his jump balls and interceptions. But like I said, he's good, not great. And so, because of that, I, you know, I, I think he could maybe have a career in the NFL if he could really develop his catching skills, really develop his timing skills. But, and I think he needs to get a little bit faster. But he has taken a lot of, you know, unnecessary flack for how well he's played this season. And when people are saying, like, man, I just want him to retire, we saw what happened when he didn't play. He didn't play in the first half against Oklahoma State, or first quarter, whatever it was. Team got torched. Um, so him being in the game is huge and he's a huge part of this Texas defense. Um, another thing, uh, I want to talk about defensively, uh, just overall is I think this, this, finally this defense is getting almost as healthy as possible. Um, Brandon Jones played against Kansas. It was great to see him back. Hasn't played since West Virginia. However, he did, he took a big hit on a punt return. It was called targeting. It was right call. 
Um, I've not heard anything on if, if he will be able to play. I know he was going through concussion protocol, um, but that would be huge if, if he would be able to play against OU. Speaking about OU, um, I'll give just a little bit of a preview for that game and kind of my, my predictions. And I would say overall, I would say matchup-wise, this game favors Texas. And the reason I say that, and this is, this is something I noticed in the OU game, um, in the Red River rivalry, Texas just just more physical than OU um, up front on the defensive side of the ball. They just there was a reason why they won. They out physicaled OU. They're bigger, they're stronger, and they just have more grit than the OU guys. And so I think that's a huge factor. Um, obviously, you know Kyler Murray versus Sam Ellinger. Sam outplayed Kyler last game. Kyler's still an incredible athlete and. You know, it's going to be scary to go up against him. Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb, incredible receivers. So as far as that, as far as as far as far speed and talent, I think OU has the edge. But as far as defense and as far as physicality up front on, on both ends of the ball, I think Texas has that aspect. And I think there's a there's a lot when – you, when you look at Kyler Murray, here's a guy – that sounded like Chris Cole. No, here's a guy. But here here is a guy who has an MLB contract who, when he's scrambling – and comes upon a defender, he slides, whether he's at the first down or not. Sam Ellinger is doing whatever he takes to get every extra yard. You know, and Herman talks about the culture plays. When they get the ball to little Jordan on a third and 18, and the whole offensive line basically picks him up and carries him 20 more yards. OU doesn't have those. OU doesn't have culture plays. And that is, that's why, that's why I favor Texas in this game matchup-wise. Where I favor OU is the fact that they already lost to Texas, and they have the revenge factor. For Texas, it's hard to beat a really good team twice in a year. It's really hard. And that was why I was hoping Texas would play West Virginia, because it's really hard to beat a good team twice in a month. And so I think Texas would have had the revenge factor against West Virginia. But OU, they have the revenge factor. They can say, they can look at the tape and say, man, we had a chance to win that game against Texas. You know, lost by three points, but I, I feel like OU's grown a lot. Since that game, obviously Texas has two, but I th- I do think it's going to be another really close game. I think it could get I think it's going to be really chippy. Um, anytime you get a rivalry game twice in one year, it's just emotions are going to start up here and just they're just going to escalate the whole game, which will be fun to watch. Um, and I think I, I do feel like the Big Twelve has gotten kind of soft. Like the whole like I'll give my little ten seconds on the horns down thing. I personally I hate the horns down, but here's the deal: if you want to do it, do it. Like, I want rivalries to be fun. I want rivalries to be chippy. You know, that's, that's what makes rivalry games so exciting is that the teams hate each other, and it comes down to who wants it more. And that's true good football there. You know, if players aren't allowed to talk a little trash, if they're not allowed, you know, if Brecken Hager can't say, you know, what does the clock say? It's, you know, currently it is 11.48, no, you still sucks. But, you know, if, if players can't say that, if players can't, you know, do the opposing team's hand sign down, you know, it's, it's just... It, football's becoming too soft and I get the hit you know to an extent the whole concussion side of the you know protect the head but let the guys trash talk a little bit it's a rivalry week let the guys go at it um so I I hope that I hope the officials will let the let the players really go at it um and and not necessarily like a fight but let them trash talk let them kind of get aggressive and use that in the game because that's certainly an edge and you know I, I I promise you when it comes to competitive edge, I'm giving it to Sam Ellinger and Breck and Hager and 
Little Jordan and Gary Johnson and Kane. I'm giving the, the competitive edge to Texas over OU. I see OU as a team that, oh, yeah, we're really good. We've kind of cruised through a lot of our games. We don't really play defense, but we're good on offense. I see Texas as a team that, like, you know what? At the beginning of the year, if you told us we'd be in the Big 12 championship, we wouldn't believe you, but we've had to work for everything that we've done. I feel like that's the mind point on the Texas end. And so that's, you know, that's a whole physical, that's a whole culture thing. And that's that's the edge I'm giving to Texas is the culture, the physicality, um, the determination. Oh, you more talented than Texas on the offensive side. Um, but I think, you know, and, and I, I would say, oh, you probably has better offensive coaching Texas, Orlando, uh, Todd Orlando, much better defensive than I don't even know who OU has defensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, all in all, it's going to be a fun game to watch. And now let's let's talk about the bulk whatever conversation if Texas loses if they win what happens so it's pretty simple there are three options actually it's really down to two bowls a sugar bowl and the Alamo Bowl that Texas could be in if Texas wins they're in the sugar bowl big 12 champs go to the sugar bowl they play whoever finishes the best SEC team who doesn't win um that who's not in the college football playoffs as of right now if Texas wins um and Alabama wins the SEC championship it would be Texas Georgia in the sugar bowl be a great matchup other option, option number two, Texas loses, OU makes the college football playoff, so by definition, best Big 12 team, not the college football playoff, would still be Texas, so they'd still be in the Sugar Bowl. Final option, option number three, OU beats Texas, OU doesn't make the college football playoff, Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And I would say I, any of those three options are great, especially just, you know, the way the season started. A loss to Maryland, barely beating Tulsa at home. After those two games, and I know, you know, if you if you go back to the Maryland episode, after the Maryland game, I still had a lot of optimism. After the Tulsa game, it was gone. I had no hope in this team, you know, really competing for the Big 12, no hope in them having a chance to get to 10 wins. But I did say this. I said this after the, the Tulsa game. I said Big 12 play hasn't started. And it's a whole new game. You start over at 0-0. And Texas did that. You know, the, the, the USC game was huge. The TCU game to start the Big 12 with, with some momentum was huge. But that's why this Texas team has been so impressive to go from, you know, and, and, and Brecken Hager's talked about that, and a lot of other guys have said that Maryland loss was the best thing that could have happened to the team this year because it kind of it woke them up, woke them up to reality that, hey, we're not just going to be able to cruise through. And that's, you know, I feel like that's almost, that's the culture that Texas has been trying to fix since they brought in Charlie Strong. And I think Charlie Strong did a good job of that. But I think they've they're kind of you know this is the icing of the cake and I and I don't like to say icing of the cake like oh the, Tom Herman is just cleaning up what Charlie Strong did no Tom Herman ha- the success of the program this year is because of Tom Herman but as far as fixing the culture I think a lot of that I think that's the icing on the cake is the fixing of the culture the players and the play that's Herman but the fixing of the culture Charlie Strong did a great job of fixing the of, of starting to fix the culture and I feel like Tom Herman has finally fixed it and this Texas team is. Way better off than it was when they when they fired Mac Brown, fired, he resigned, but he was fired. Um, and you know they're they're primed to win the Big Twelve championship, be in a New Year's Six game, and you know have a good recruiting class and have a chance to compete for a college football playoff spot next year. So that's that's kind of that's talking Texas. Um, we'll get to some other segments. First segment. Uh, this is. Uh, another segment I want to start doing, but this is the one cool thing. Um, the one cool thing of this episode of this week, there's been a bill proposed um, by a San Antonio 
uh, House of Representative, State Representative um, Lyle, Lars Lyle Larson. And what the bill says, it's essentially it would basically force Texas to play A&M um, on the threat that if they don't play um, in a non-conference game on Thanksgiving weekend, if they don't play, they would take away uh, state funds to the athletic program. So whether that's scholarships or just other funds that the state gives to the school, they would take those away. Um, now, a similar act was proposed in 2013, never made it out of committee. We'll see what happens here. But as, as any fan of college football, especially college football in Texas, this is exciting. Um, I know Larson said he wants this to happen by 2019. It's not because they've already finalized schedules. But this is something that Texas could see. You know, I could see reasonable by 2021, 2022, um, once you kind of get out of where you already have teams scheduled. It's definitely something that could happen. And I, I, I personally would love to see that rivalry be, be brought back. And I, I know a lot of people want to see that rivalry um, brought back. I think that's just good for the game of college football in general. And, you know, that way we can, you know, there's so much trash talk between Aggies and Longhorns right now on Twitter of, oh, we're better or, oh, we beat you this year. Who knows? Like, who knows in the last, you know, since 2012, who would have won when they played every year? And, the, you know, and, and the, the biggest reason I say that is because it's a rivalry game. Records, you know, it's so cliche, but it is the, mo the, the truest thing that records just go out the window and arrive. I mean, that's why Texas, you know, a couple years ago beat, three years ago beat OU. They went 5-7. and seven. OU made the college football playoff. There's no way you could tell me that that Texas team was better than OU. And so that's why when Aggies and Longhorns are, you know, arguing, oh, A&M had nine wins. Texas had eight wins this year, so A&M won a one. Who knows? And so I, that's why I think it'd be so exciting to get that game going again. Um, and finally, final segment, let's talk some college football. We are a week away from having the, uh, the college football playoffs be revealed. So I want to kind of go over some possible scenarios. We're going to start with kind of most basic and go all the way down to uh, a lot of chaos. So easiest one is kind of the favorites. Chalk happens. Favorites win. Um, Bama beats Georgia. Notre Dame, they're already in. They don't play a conference championship game. Clemson beats Pitt. OU beats Texas. Ohio State beats Northwestern. So obviously you get Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson in. Question would be then between OU and Ohio State. I actually don't know. I think when you look at stats, OU's the better team. Um, the interesting thing for this situation is you look at Ohio State, better win, worse loss. If OU is in the situation where they beat Texas in the in the conference championship game, their only loss is also their best win. So it's it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see who the college football playoff committee favors in that uh, in that head to head. I would you know I think OU should get the nod. It kind of depends on how each team plays in the conference championship game. But the committee has favored Ohio State in the past. Obviously, we saw when um, when they won in uh, with uh, Cardell Jones, you know, third string, and somehow they they make it in. Um, the committee likes Urban Meyer. They they like to get Ohio State. They know it's good for ratings, but they have not been too keen on Ohio State so far this season. Um, obviously, you know Ohio State right now sits at sixth. But when Ohio State lost to uh, Purdue, they shot way back in the rankings, um, even with only one loss. So that's why I I just feel like this committee doesn't like this Ohio State team this year. So um, OU definitely sitting in a good spot. I would say I think OU controls their own destiny almost definitely to make the college football playoff. All right, so let's go. Getting a little crazier. Here's where it could get interesting. Bama loses to Georgia. Notre Dame, obviously, we're not even going to mention them because they're, they've solidified their spot. So Bama loses to Georgia. Clemson wins, OU, OSU wins. So obviously then you'd have Notre Dame 
Clemson, and Georgia in the playoff. Comes down to Bama, OU, and Ohio State. At this point, I would assume that the college football playoff goes with Bama. Now, if Georgia blows them out, that's a different situation, but I don't see any possible situation where Bama gets blown out by Georgia. Even if Tua somehow gets like hurt in this game, bring in Jalen Hurts. He's still an incredible quarterback, led them to national championship last year. So this Alabama team is almost in without a doubt whether they win or lose. Let's get to even more chaotic. So here's here's what could happen. The top three win. So that's, you know, Alabama, Clemson, um, and uh, well, Notre Dame. So Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame. So they're in. But Ohio, Ohio State and OU lose. So then you look at who gets in at number four. And I think, you know, it comes down to two lost teams at that point because it's a two-loss Georgia team, two-loss Ohio State team, two-loss OU team, neither of which have won their, call, their, their conference championship. If Georgia loses, but it's close, they're in. But if Georgia gets blown out and uh, Ohio State and OU lose big, there's a small, small chance that Michigan gets in, I think. Just because I think it would be hard for the, the committee to let any two-loss team who's gotten blown out the week before, I think especially, you know, if Ohio State loses, you can look at, okay, Michigan, Michigan game was a fluke. If OU loses big, you're like, okay, they have no defense. They don't belong here. If UGA looks bi- loses big, well, I, I still think I think UGA has the edge there being SEC and having to play Alabama. If they lose big to Alabama, well, okay, so here's the thing. And this this could be interesting. If, you know, if this situation happens where Georgia – even say they lose close to Alabama. Meanwhile, OU and Ohio State lose. Then we're going to have Georgia and Alabama playing, you know, again, back-to-back because it would be SEC championship game, and then they would play again in the first round because Georgia would be the four seed. So a lot of interesting situations. Um, You also have the situation if Clemson loses, and, you know, if Clemson loses in that situation where Bama wins, where – uh, and then Ohio State and OU lose. I don't even know what happens there. I think Clemson may be out with a loss just because of the the weak schedule of the ACC. Um, but I, you know, that's Clemson. The thing about Clemson is because they haven't lost the the college football playoff committee hasn't really had to rank them anywhere. They're, you know, they're two right now because they're undefeated. But chaos could happen. I think Clemson wins. I think Alabama wins. I think you know, and, and Notre Dame's. And so I think the interesting thing to watch is what happens with the. OU game, what happens with the Ohio State game, I, I know for sure, as much as Buckeyes are going to hate it, they're going to have to be rooting um, for Texas um, when they play uh, when they play OU. Um, so anyways, that's all we got. Um, we'll be back one last episode next week um, recapping the conference championship game. Hopefully, hopefully in bright spirits, hopefully Texas hoists the, the conference championship trophy, but we'll see anyways. Until that happens from the Thomas Fitch Sports Show, I'm Thomas Fitch. Hook 'em horns. Take of everything.